0: for me, artistic research or creative research becomes particularly interesting when you have your creative process, your practical process, and when you start changing your own disposition towards your practice to also come to new insights, and it also doesn't stop there. Once you've come to these insights, then you find ways to discursively articulate it in a way that can be shared.
1: Welcome to the latest podcast in our Arts Research Africa dialogue series. These dialogues are intended to stimulate practice enable research, and inspire collective engagement around the question of artistic research in Africa. One major question facing artistic researchers is how to disseminate the results of their work. The traditional forms of dissemination, based as they are on written articles and textual dissertations, are not always conducive to representing the varied outputs from autistic research. The online journal Ellipsis, which is based at the Witt School of Arts and funded through the ARA project, has been one very innovative solution to the challenge of using the resources of digital online presentation to present autistic research in all its multimodal richness. The journal has just put out a call for submissions for its third issue, entitled Embodied Methodologies, Creative Research on the Global South. The call can be accessed on the journal's website, www.ellipsis.org.za. The submission deadline is the 6th of June, 2019. In this dialogue, I'll be speaking to Dr. Tegan Bristow, the editor-in-chief and digital editor of the Ellipsis Journal, and Dr. Moralee Stolp, the editor of this third issue of the journal. I am Prof. Christo Doherty, Deputy Head of School, responsible for arts research at the Witt School of Arts. Ellipsis, the online journal of creative research, has been running since 2016 and has so far produced two issues. The third issue, of course, is the one that's that's just opened now for submissions. Taken as chief editor and, I think most interestingly, digital editor, can you talk about ellipsis as a phenomenon and how you're approaching the publication of creative research on an online platform and a bit about the history where it comes from the colleagues who were involved in actually starting the initiative.
2: Sure, so the journal sort of was the brainchild of Saint Marie who was quite interested in shifting the format of how creative research is published or understood within the publishing space. It's quite hard to publish creative research, and then also the questions around how a lot of creative research is presented post event and sort of what the consequences of that are, um, specifically in, with regard to talking about making and creativity. And he'd initially started looking at different kinds of formats. I think they'd even started looking at a kind of newspaper format or magazine format and sort of felt that perhaps the online platform would give more access to more people and potentially bring in a kind of media orientation and also an interactive orientation that that could be used to think about creative practice in different kinds of ways. So I came in as digital editor in the second issue so I wasn't involved in the first issue at all and the second issue then we kind of started exploring with the support from the Mellon uh, grant and through Ira, the notion of how each piece itself could be produced interactively. So working with the authors, understanding what the authors themselves thought about translating that, it's not an easy, easy task. Um, I think before they'd been thinking about it kind of looking at the at a blog and allowing the authors to sort of put media in the blog, but I was quite interested in taking that into. A more developed interactive format. And that has been quite interesting. So, for instance, Jonathan Kane, who was developing research um, and put in a proposal for the second issue, did one article essentially in a series of. Um, I think there will be maybe six interviews. So he basically explored one of the interviews in an article for Ellipsis, and is now taking that on to to develop the other six in the exact same format and actually hosting it on the ellipsis site even though the original article was just for one interview. So the opportunities for for further engagement and further development around the creative research is, is also quite interesting.
1: And what is the structure now of Ellipsis? I understand that for this third issue, you've made some changes in the orientation of the journal.
2: Yeah, so last year we were kind of working off um, two guest editors and me as digital editor, but there wasn't an organising person, somebody who could sort of make sure that deadlines were being kept, that the journal was meeting the sort of accreditation concerns and also meeting the the funding requirements. So we, we looked at bringing in sort of formally an editor-in-chief, which I fell into that role because I was the one pushing for the role, but remain as digital editor, meaning that I'll work with the kind of digital team, development team, and we're going to continue looking at guest editorships, but we can't, because of the need for accreditation, be calling those editors from the School of Arts continuously, and so we are looking at sort of opening up who those editors are and making open calls, and that process, And my role and the journal itself is now supported by an editorial committee, which is made up of a group from the School of Arts, a regional group for people working in Africa and also in Johannesburg, and then an international group of people who are particularly interested in creative research and also kind of attuned to digital publishing and things online.
1: And what were the lessons with the second issue? You had a very full list of publications you know ranging from experimental music to documentary to works I think such as Jürgen Miekels which was very much just based on investigation of the image and image manipulation in quite an abstract way. What, what did you learn from doing that second issue that you're taking forward into this new third issue?
2: Mm, I think the relationship between the editors and the authors and the digital editor for instance is is quite an important one. There was a fair amount of translation that Bettina and Pervais who were the guest editors last year needed to do with the authors and myself and the understanding of what that is and what the capabilities are of the online space are also quite important Um, and I think I mean if we use Jürgen and he's in the room as an example we went quite wide about what the possibilities were and that's had a lot to do with how Jürgen and Pervais were having conversations and then as a digital editor stepping in and sort of actually needing to kind of rein it back quite a lot and go within the short amount of time that we have left Um, and the amount of digital development that we can do, we may not be able to do this crazy out there scientific experiment that you're hoping to do, but rather a presentation of some of the ideas in a digital interactive format. Um, So that relationship between the editor who's really in charge of the content and making sure that the authors and the content are aligned with the issues sort of focus, as well as the possibilities of that space is quite an important relationship.
1: The theme of that second issue was open the gates. Can you just talk a bit to that theme and how it was, how it manifests in the work that was presented in that second issue?
2: I didn't develop the theme and wasn't dealing with the content directly, so that's the role of the editor, the issue editor. So that was developed by Pavese and Bettina and it sort of came off the back of the first issue which was very much about asking questions about publishing creative research online and what that means and sort of the sort of methodological things that need to happen around creative research and how it's understood and at the same time the sort of end of the student protests and the must Falls movement. So the Open the Gates was really looking at both of those notions of how to open the idea of research into other spaces and other methods as well as other communities. So Bettina and Pervais then worked on the call and also worked with authors directly in terms of how to translate that.
1: Now, it seems to me one of the challenges with what you're trying to do with Ellipsis is to incorporate the notion of academic accreditation and the peer review with presenting creative work online. How are you managing those? Are they disparate? pressures on on the publication or do you have you found a way to combine them meaningfully and productively
2: I think we've tried to set up enough structure to meet the the requirements of accreditation so for instance We're now tracking all submissions through a submission system which means that we'll then be able to show quite accurately how many people have submitted proposals, how many people are accepted Um, so the processes of that are very important and the review process. We've also then the kind of working, setting up the editorial board, setting up the role of editor-in-chief, sort of putting a foundation of how the journal runs with people and with authors and with reviewers is very important. I am quite interested in looking at a double peer-reviewed system so the first issue had peer reviews in quotation marks um, at the end of the publications meaning that internally the review process was happening between the authors and the editors Um, and then right at the end there was an opportunity for people to anonymously kind of review the pieces as they would be if you were at an exhibition or in a theatre performance. I was quite interested in the possibilities of a review process happening before going live, but sort of as publication would be complete. So this is one of the things that we were really battling with, because in a normal written submission, you would go through a series of review processes in a system um, where the reviewers would be able to give feedback about the written text, and the author would then be able to respond to that directly and say, I've changed this or not changed that, etc., etc." But in the kind of construction of creative work in a kind of quite collaborative manner for an online platform, which has a lot of man hours in it and sort of A value in time and money spent on that production it's very hard to sort of go okay well we're going to scrap all of this and redo it so it's about potentially bringing a review the using the the editorial process as a review process initially so the editor editor themselves are reviewing the submissions then kind of potentially looking at A small group of reviewers to kind of look at the work before it goes live for if there's anything sort of incredibly challenging um, about the premise versus the outcome and then having a month or so to be able to kind of fix that within the team and then I do quite like the post review Option because it does then invite us to have a lot of other people look at the work and it's an opportunity to sort of launch the articles and we calling them articles into into the sort of public and academic um, community.
1: So the innovation and the real challenge with the model that you're developing with Ellipsis is the creative work has to be translated into a digital space and yet at the same time it needs to be assessed and reviewed by peers. And it's to try and integrate those two different processes.
2: Exactly, yeah. And it's, it's not an easy task and I, you know we often reflect on the actual processes of making. So for instance in theatre and in music you may have peers come and look at a rehearsal or come and be part of the sort of initial ideation around the set design for something, and that's very much an internal process that happens with experts who are peers. But really, it only once it's, it sort of only publicly gets reviewed once it's complete, and that's very different from the written research process.
1: Marilee, you've come in. Were selected by the editorial board as the editor of this this next issue, and you've come in with quite a decisive act of positioning, if I can call that. We've moved from opening the gates in the second issue, the theme of the second issue, to now embodied methodologies, creative research in the global south. So it's becoming much more specific how we should, should understand creative research methodologies in this context. Why did you choose this approach and what do you expect to get out of it as the issue editor?
0: Well, I think before I get into the question properly, I should just give the background that I've been working with the Journal for Artistic Research for six years now, and that's an international platform, open access, peer-reviewed, and it's on its 17th issue now. And so a lot of the things that Ellipses is working with at the moment still and things that are being ironed out with peer review and so on, um, I've been exposed to how the European model has been doing it for quite a while. So I think maybe I've skipped a few thinking steps in a way because I've been so used to doing this kind of digital reviewing, peer reviewing and the use of uh, what they call the research catalogue, which is an online platform which is open and available to all creative practitioners to develop their creative research on So what I'm particularly interested in from a philosophical point of view is when you talk about artistic research or creative research, I think is the term you use here, we are talking about the integration of traditional forms of research or thinking or discursive Um, renderings of our creative practice and the doing, the practical work that we do. And one of the places, or one of the spaces in which that integration manifests very strongly is in the embodied knowledge or the tacit knowledge which is generated when you engage with an artistic project. So for me artistic research or creative research becomes particularly interesting when you have your creative process, your practical process, and when you start changing your own disposition towards your practice to also come to new insights and it also doesn't stop there, once you've come to these insights, then you find ways to discursively articulate it in a way that can be shared. That does not have to be textual, and I think that's one of the most important things about platforms like Ellipses or like the Journal for Artistic Research, or other models like the Finnish Ruku or Sonic Studies. Those platforms allow you to find ways to expose the work that you've done, the thinking that you've done, the research that you've done, that led to your creative project in ways that are not subject to the textual tyranny. So bringing the embodiment uh, to the forefront is something which I've always done in my own artistic research endeavours. I think it's something that many practitioners do anyway and to feature that in an issue of ellipses will just show us or provide us with some examples of how this can be done.
1: Question I have when reading your call which is now available on the ellipsis site and is being distributed widely is and I've commented on this before, is the slippage between a focus on Africa, which I understand in terms of cultures as well as just a geographical positioning, and the global south. You seem to me to move very rapidly and in a rather unarticulated way from a consideration of Africa, where I think you correctly assert that here in Africa we don't have that traditional separation that bedevils Western thought between theoretical and practical knowledge. Uh, Yet, in your call, you then slip into the idea that this is the case in the entire global South, and you call for submissions from the global South rather than from African practitioners. Can you talk to that?
0: I was quite grateful for that criticism that came from you, because it exposed an error in my own thinking. And I'll take it back to my first exposure to artistic research, which was part of my PhD study. And in my reading, I I encountered a a Dutch man called Henk Borgdorf, very important in music in artistic research. He was also, for a long time, the chair of the Society for Artistic Research. And he separates thinking in artistic research into two themes or two camps. The one is education politics and the other is philosophy. And so when you talk about philosophy, then artistic research launches a kind of a challenge to the Cartesian division of uh, practical and theoretical knowledge. And philosophically, that's interesting specifically for me in an African context because so much of African philosophy already embraces this holism. So the separation between thinking and doing is not something which is fundamental to much of thinking in African philosophy. On the other hand, artistic research, in a way, is positioned as an epistemology of the global north. The money has been available to develop artistic research institutions. One of the reasons it became an important thing in Europe was because of the Bologna Accord from 1999, which was signed by a bunch of signatory countries who all agreed they had to streamline their systems to no longer have separation between university or conservatoire. And so conservatoires started doing written degrees, doctoral and master's degrees, and universities started presenting more practical work. And artistic research was one of the ways in which they did this. So that was an education politics consideration. Now, if we really think about the philosophy of artistic research, it becomes, I think, quite possible to position it in Africa as something which is very easy to understand as part of African philosophy and I suspect the same might be true in other Global South contexts as well but the Global South comment in a way connects much more to education politics than to philosophy and that slippage I think should have been articulated more clearly in the call had there been more space and more time probably that would have been something I would have considered much more seriously so I wouldn't suggest that Africa and the Global South are the same thing, not at all. But perhaps the way to think about it now in the situation that we're in is to think of positioning the Global South as an actor in artistic research, a serious actor, as a political statement, which is important, and to look specifically at philosophies that challenge that Western or even, let's say, a Global North way of thinking, separating practice and theory. So both those things could resonate with each other, I think, quite well.
1: I want to push you a bit further on this. Is there a sense that autistic research in an African context that is responsive to African epistemologies and ontologies, that this could be one of the spaces where the fees must fall, the, the broader ideological demands of fees must fall for tertiary education that actually is more meaningful to African students and isn't experienced as a colonial construct. Could autistic research in Africa play a role?
0: Oh, absolutely, and I think on multiple levels. One of which would be if you're looking at students, for example, at the Witt School of Arts, many of them come into the system woefully unprepared for what the Western University is going to require of them. And what I've found with my own students at Rhodes University, for example, with music students, once we have the discussion about artistic research and we have a discussion about how important their own knowledge is, how much they already know. The fact that you play your instrument and that you think in and through music every day means that you already have knowledge. So you don't have to constantly wait for, no offence, but some white man in a professorial position to tell you what you need to know. You already have knowledge and that's extremely empowering, I think. So certainly for South African students, and especially in in the wake of the Fees Must Fall movement, and I would actually take that even further and connect it to decolonizing methodologies and decolonizing thinking, understanding and accepting and embracing that as a maker of art, maker of music, as someone who lives through creative processes, you already have a lot of knowledge and now there's an avenue for you to translate that knowledge into a shareable medium. I won't use the word discursive again, but a shareable medium, something which travels beyond your personal experience. I think in the academy it's quite a radical idea, actually, not only in South Africa, but in Europe still, even today. So I do think it's an empowering thing that's happening. On a second level, I do think it's essential to look at many types of knowledge creation, especially in the academy that do not feel subservient to what we've inherited from the global north. So we do not have to think of artistic research. The fact that the term was coined in the global north does not mean that we have to think of it as a global north endeavour. We have the opportunity, especially through avenues like ellipses or Ara, to reposition the way of thinking as something which belongs here, that has actually been going on on this continent and in the global south for a long time.
1: Tegan, as Editor-in-Chief on this next issue, uh, how are you looking to work with the issue editor, particularly with regards to your quite complex and challenging developmental peer review process where work is developed for the platform while being reviewed? How does the editor articulate with that process? I
2: think just to be very clear that the Editor-in-Chief is more administrative role sort of managing the the processes and making sure that the board are being held accountable for decision-making and that actually this role and it's a bit complicated is also that of my role is also that of the digital editor which is where I started out with so I'm going to kind of respond try and respond from both views in a, in a way but the notion of having a guest editor for every issue or an issue editor specifically, is that they can then lead the conceptual sort of framing of the issue and then also work with the respective authors about how their submissions are engaging the concept or the theme of the issue and then sort of work with me as a digital editor in terms of how to translate a focus on the theme with the expectations of the author in terms of their work and what it is that they're making into the digital platform. And that really is something that needs to happen quite closely between the digital editor and the editor, but also requires the editor to sort of hold firm on the conceptual focus of the issue. If we're making decisions about um, the development of a piece into a sort of interactive sound piece say now. And it starts falling away from kind of representing the initial themes and initial ideas of why the submission was accepted. It would be my release role to make sure that's retained. And also to be able to kind of hold a conversation between the digital editor, myself, the author, authors um, and the concept and sort of hold that all together. And also to get a sense of across the different submissions, how the submissions come together to speak to that one particular theme. Um, so if it would be her role to either decide that they would all be within a similar frame or very diverse frames as a way to represent that. So her role is really to hold that as the kind of thesis essentially of of the issue, and make sure that it's adequately represented. From there, it will also be her role to work with the review process. So she may she'll probably be. Um, communicating with the reviewers, potentially even helping elect reviewers um, for the different works and for the issue. Yeah, that's pretty much her role. So every issue then will have... Either a team or a person who who leads that. So we also have in the pipeline for this year a special issue, which is specifically around Johannesburg. And what makes it different from this issue, this third issue, and what makes it a special issue, is that the third issue is very much an open call, so quite broad and quite wide. And we worked with Marily to kind of write quite a broad and wide call for for papers or call for submissions, so that many people could write their work into into that frame. The special issue is much more specific, um, much more clarified, and is really much more a production of an artwork unique to the issue, rather than bringing different kinds of practices in and different authors in to, um, to presenting their creative research in, in the digital platform. So slightly different, but it also came out of a question with the editorial board about whether the journal itself should present artistic work like raw artistic work or be presenting a notion around the methodologies and practices or publication practices of the artistic work. So in the sort of balance between the two we're looking at how that can be asked and questioned and explored. Um, so special issues are unique to very particular projects being developed for the journal.
1: Okay. Muraly you've come to this role as as an issue editor with experience with the European seen and specifically the as you were mentioning, the very well established European online journal, JAR, Journal of Artistic Research. How does that editorial process work? And maybe say a bit more about uh, the research catalog, the function of research catalog in that process
0: okay, so the research catalog is a platform on which people can experiment. you can start working on the RC in order to publish in jar and when we as an editorial board look at the submissions, we look at something which was developed on that platform and there is a help desk so if you 're struggling with using the research catalog there is somebody that helps you and that 's completely separate from the jar. The JAR editorial board is about 8 to 10 people and it fluctuates a little bit. And we all look at every submission and then vote yes or no, or yes with minor changes or something like that. And then once we have three yes votes, that submission goes to peer review. Jarl works very hard at getting four or five blind peer reviews. And the uh, review form is actually, I think, a very strong form. And It asks questions such as, how does this submission expose practice as research? So the connection between the research process and the creative results actually very important that's not to say that uh, the board insists on wide referencing or specific philosophical positions or any of those things but the idea is that the things that end up on the jar are expositions so they use the digital platform in a way to drive the thinking so it's not a question of having done artistic work and then advertising it or showing it on this platform the platform itself becomes part of the creative process. And so once the peer review is concluded and comes back, they have the option to uh, accept with no changes, accept with minor changes, uh, reject outright, which is pretty standard also in academic publishing. And then the editorial board together develops an editorial review form. So together with the peer review forms that all go back to the authors, the editorial board also sends a review form. In the end, the authors then decide how many changes they want to incorporate, which they do not want to incorporate, and then the final decision is made again by the editorial board. So this process that Tegan is talking about of having people look at the creative submissions, at the creative research submissions over time, this is something that really does happen with with the JAR, and I think it works quite well. So by the time a submission ends up online in the journal, it's actually been looked at and seen by several people who work in artistic research or creative research. And, I mean, I would like to try and test something like that out with this issue of ellipses as well. I think a review form is extremely important because many South African practitioners have not yet worked with creative research or artistic research. And it's a term which has become politically quite loaded, especially with the new policy on creative research output that came out in 2017. I think the first submissions for that starts in November this year. So the discussions of when is it research, when is it artistic research, is artistic research as important as traditional research, how do we judge these things, what are their places inside academia, all those political discussions are very important. So a good review form, something that helps your peer reviewers find a way into understanding how these things work and how they work on a digital platform, I think that's really important. And that's something that I'd like to develop together with perhaps the editorial board of Ellipses and certainly with Tegan.
1: Is this issue of ellipsis, which deals very much with philosophical and methodological issues, is it only open to submissions that are based on creative work? Or would it be based, would you accept purely discursive meditation on questions of what is creative methodology relation between practice and knowledge.
0: I'm hesitant to say outright because we've actually with the journal for artistic research we've had submissions that in creative writing challenge very specifically our ideas of what research and what discursivity actually is. So it would depend on the submission itself. I'm personally open to anything but there would have to be a very clear need to use the digital platform. So if a submission arrives and I look at this thing and I think to myself, well, this could actually function just as well in any discursive journal, I probably wouldn't choose to put that up on a digital platform. The platform has to be part of the energizing factor of what this uh, ends up being. So without being uh, draconian about it and separating the discursive work from the creative work, I think the platform is extremely important. If the platform isn't helping the work, if it isn't driving it forward, then that kind of work needs to go to a different journal, I would think. But I'm not uh, not going to commit to that. Depends on what we get, so you never know what people come up with.
1: So it would seem to me the difference between established model like JAR in Europe and what Ellipsis offers is... With the JAR model, it's pretty much up to the contributors to shape their work digitally using the research catalogue platform. And they might get some assistance from the help desk, but they're certainly not going to have their work redesigned for the online, whereas Ellipsis, it seems to me, is offering a much more Rolls-Royce experience for creative contributors. Is it going to be each contribution or just the selected contributions is actually going to have a developer attached to that process and the developers and the editor is going to be working with that contributor to present it digitally on the platform?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a difficult thing because The platform that Jiao uses is is kind of like a template that allows you to put text and images and videos into a formation which is a little bit like a mind map in, in, in essence. So it basically allows you, rather than sort of the formulaic up and down format, you can put it horizontally or sideways, but it really is taking in a lot of ways, the post-produced stuff and putting it in there with text or images and making those associations and trying to show the production, the pressure of the creative process in in that, but in a quite a a published way. Like you could almost, um, if it wasn't a video, you could almost like printed out, um, as a like a poster in a way. And that's really, really interesting, and I think really, really valuable. And the potential specifically for research students to be able to putting that stuff in there is something that we should all really be looking at too. So other versions Of um, how creative research is presented outside of Ellipsis or around Ellipsis. But Ellipsis itself, and I think it comes from, it does come from me, and I know this, and it comes from me being an interactive media developer and being very frustrated by template formats and wanting or needing a format where, where each Artists themselves or each producer can kind of almost decide with help um, how it is that they might want to present that work and I think that it becomes a little bit difficult because we were talking earlier about the relationship between the, the editor and the digital editor and the author, um, in that often the author themselves may never have made anything digital before and don't quite know how to present their work in that format. Um, And it's really up to the digital editor to then help them translate that and for the editor to make sure that it sort of stays within that frame. So there is collaboration in that. And I think that's also something that, that we need to understand and explore. And I started, when you first asked me questions, talking about the relationship between Reviewers um, in process review and internal review and how much creative research does happen in a community of practice through collaboration um, and if if a developer for instance is very comfortable in the digital space it's actually a very easy transition because the developer would be they'd be able to say this is how I what needed this is how interactive I wanted um, and these are the things that I'd liked in the end with approval from the editor and approval from the digital editor it can be made in a very streamlined manner but if somebody's coming in who has only ever drawn in pencil and paper, for them to think about that process in a digital frame is, is really, really difficult and actually becomes more of a collaboration in that space. But it does mean that every single submission, every article, and I'm using that word again, is completely unique to that person's processes. So it's a little bit like a printmaker working with an artist. Um, so the process of taking the idea onto an edge plate and then onto paper, which is the expertise of the print, the master printmaker, but not necessarily the artist. So those those are interesting questions. I feel that it, it speaks a lot about the process in a, in a very different kind of way, and also how that process is evolved. And I think that needs to be laid bare a little bit more in the journal itself and what the journal talks about.
1: Taking so the, the analogy that you use for this process that Ellipsis is following is... is very well illustrated by that artist working with a master printmaker but it does mean that art contributors who have no knowledge of the digital process are going to require quite a lot of time and effort as opposed to people who come in with a clear idea of how they want their work.
2: This is an interesting space because if we break it down and think about medium within the creative research space. And in a lot of ways the, the printed, published ed- format, even the written format, is like a medium in, in, in some essence. The rules that are required around the medium of academic publishing specifically. People who are doing creative research are translating their work into that to be formally published in these kind of research terms. but. In the same sense, we've got to then understand the role that the digital plays in being a medium, so there's a level of translation and rules and limitations, and more than limitations, things that people might never have explored because it's a very new space, against it being a publishing space so a space where things go into copyright a space that is publicly accessible a space that can bring together a lot of different ideas and lots of different kinds of making and doing which means multiple media multiple kinds of interaction various types of interaction as well so that that's a question again but i don't think is necessarily outside of really clear thinking about how we put things out into the world but that translation I mean, I'm using pencil and paper as a way to talk about how limited it could be and the, the sort of most extreme stuff. But when you are speaking to an artist, for instance, I'm going to go back to the pencil and paper um, analogy. That artist is not focusing on the fact that he's using pencil and paper 100%. There are other things there that that artist is trying to communicate. And if we go back to the theme of the issue three, which is around embodied knowledges and embodied methodologies, we would be focusing on those things. So how then would the artist who draws on paper think about presenting their work within that frame? And how then do we work with them to translate the concepts and the ideas that they're trying to translate rather than purely the fact that they, can, they would draw? And if it is that they would draw and they're comfortable with drawing, it's about taking that that notion of drawing into the digital space but within the frame of embodied knowledges and the message essentially or the research frame that the artist might want to translate about that embodiedness and that's what we'll be focusing on rather than the medium itself just as much as when people publish academic research, they don't focus on the fact that it's paper and academic argument forming, and they focus on, on the actual content of it too. So that line is very important to not sort of get bogged down in in the medium aspect of it.
1: And this question could go to both of you. Are you looking for submissions for this third issue that essentially are work in progress that would be completed digitally in collaboration with the Ellipsis editorial and development team, or for submissions that are presenting work with obviously the discursive element, that are presenting completed works. Because it's not clear in your call for submissions what stage of creative work, what stage it should be at when it's submitted.
0: I don't think it's an either or. So I think the people that are going to give us submissions are creative practitioners who are always engaged in creative work. And my hope is that they might be triggered by this possibility of putting their work, developing it into this digital platform, into this mode or this kind of representation. So most likely we'll have quite a few submissions of work that has been done, but it has not been disseminated or written about or engaged with in a In a way that could become research or become a research output in the way that we envision it for ellipses. It might also be possible that a creative practitioner will read the call and think. I've been planning on doing this project for a long time. If I would do this in collaboration with a digital developer, if I would develop it for this platform, it might become something else. So I don't think it's an either or question. And I think certainly what I'll be doing is I'll be contacting specific people to say, have you seen the call? I know the kind of work you do. Have you considered developing this with our digital editor? Um, What are you working on at the moment? Do you think there's scope for you to try something new for this issue? That's part of the work of the editor is to also canvas for submissions. But there will be no either or in my head. I think both are absolutely possible and have equal but energizing potential. Thank
1: you both. I think you're offering an incredible opportunity to creative practitioners who want to move into a research and digital space. And I just hope that people out there (laughs) realize what is on offer and take advantage of it. I just want to now see if there's any comments or questions.
3: I'm Jurgen Miegel and I teach at uh, Film and TV here at WIT. About two, three years ago I think I uh, I worked as an assistant, basically a digital assistant, with uh, George Ferender and uh, Cynthia Cross on their submission for uh, a JAR article and uh, when I sort of worked on that I found it extremely yeah, interesting and 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 friendly to work on it uh, even with fairly limited uh, knowledge of, of of website making etc and i compare it a little bit with what i currently feel is wix I mean it's a sort of very friendly lego-like web building uh, platform also i found the help desk quite easy the only thing i found difficult at that point but maybe that's improved already is the the logging in and getting through the basic early principles of getting into the site which uh, which is a bit more difficult I think. Furthermore I think platforms like that which you spoke about things like you mean how it works if you are for instance a draftsman, draftswoman, kind a person and you wanna publish something on a digital platform How, how does that connection work and what can you do and I think for instance field notes that actually become the inspiration for the work are incredibly useful to publish, because that actually also teach an audience and, and, and peers a lot of how the
1: work is uh, yeah, made. Jürgen, you've been a contributor both to JAR through Research Catalog and to Ellipsis. Right. Can you compare the experiences as a contributor? Definitely. Well, what I had... I mean, I was actually behaving
3: for George Ferender and uh, Cynthia Cross-like, Tegan was behaving for me and Andrea Hayes. Where they were helping me in a sense to yeah, establish a a thought that I wanted to process and helping you how to how to establish that on a on a digital platform, which is quite a conversion and not an easy one. So I found I mean the first time I actually heard about ellipsis, I immediately thought about jar actually as an example, because just previously I worked on that and I thought that's a great example of how it could be. However, it's also very important that to establish that on, on one's own from a new, just beginning startup perspective. But yeah, I don't, yeah, I think there's definitely similarities between the two, but the approach, what I felt is that, yeah, the personal approach at Ellipsis at this point, also with on the scale size of it, was much more um, yeah, helpful than, than it was at, uh, more like a more distant kind of assistance, wave, being a digital help desk assistant than it was with JAR. However, I think as a platform will develop over time, I mean those things can be ironed out and can be actually made easier, and also different ways of artistic research could be published. It's just opening the floodgates of basically what is possible. Yeah.
0: Just as a final comment, I think Ellipses, I'm quite sure of it actually, is the first of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere, the first online platform of its kind. and so. For me it's an extremely exciting opportunity to be a part of this. Ellipsis 3 I think is going to be a wonderful, wonderful publication and I think WITS in this sense is being the trailblazer for other similar endeavours hopefully in the near future. So we don't have to look only to JAR, we can look to JAR for all the help it can give us but I think it's fantastic that Ellipsis is also saying no, we're also going to take our own way and develop this according to our own principles, I think that's commendable.
1: Tegan and Marley, thank you very much for your time and I'm certainly really looking forward to this next issue and have a better idea of the the challenges and complexity of translating creative research onto a digital platform. So I wish you well and we'll look out for the issue and hopefully you will get a lot of submissions. You have been listening to a dialogue between myself, Christo Doherty, and Dr. Tegan Bristow and Dr. Marilee Stolp about the innovative online journal of creative research called Ellipsis, based in the Bitt School of Arts. The journal is open for submissions. Go to its website, www.ellipsis.org.za. This podcast was produced by Elna Schutz and was funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation as part of their support for the Arts Research Africa Project in the Witt School of Arts. The music in this episode was composed by John Barton.